Connecting life and faith. This is Connections. It's been 10 years, which in one one sense seems like a long time, but it's a short time. Um, On a very ordinary, what seemed like ordinary Friday morning, I woke to my husband's funny breathing and wasn't even awake enough to open my eyes, but just kind of reached over and nudged him and said, it's just a nightmare. And then as I woke more to his breathing, flipped on the overhead light, I could see that something was drastically wrong. And, you know, we did all the things. We started CPR immediately, called 911. The paramedics are right outside of our neighborhood. They were there within minutes, um, took him to the hospital by ambulance. But uh, it was a little while later, I followed the ambulance when a very kind ER doctor took me into that room you never want to go into and said that they had never been able to revive Dan. That was the day that Lisa Apollo's life changed forever. She is a mother of seven and now a widow. She says, though, that life can be good again and that you can put your world back together after it falls apart. And she says she knows all too well from her own experience. She's going to share a little bit about the importance of hope while grieving and what she did Get through this difficult time. We're joined today by Lisa Apollo. She is a writer, author, and speaker. She's also a widow and a mother of seven. Now, the book that you've recently put together is called Life Can Be Good Again, Putting Your World Back Together After It All Falls Apart. And we're going to chat a little bit more about that book coming up in a little bit. But this book itself was inspired by something that happened in your life, a very tragic event. Can you tell us a little bit about your family and a little bit about that story? Sure. Uh, I spend 10 years, which in one, one sense seems like a long time, but it's a short time. Um, on a very ordinary, what seemed like ordinary Friday morning, I woke to my husband's funny breathing and wasn't even awake enough to open my eyes, but just kind of reached over and nudged him and said, it's just a nightmare. And then as I woke more to his breathing, flipped on the overhead light, I could see that something was drastically wrong. And, you know, we did all the things. We started CPR immediately, called 911. The paramedics are right outside of our neighborhood. They were there within minutes, um, took him to the hospital by ambulance. But uh, it was a little while later, I followed the ambulance when a very kind ER doctor took me into that room you never want to go into and said that they had never been able to revive Dan. And so there had been no signs, no symptoms. I mean, there had been nothing out of the ordinary that we could see. And there was something underlying a heart condition that um, was revealed afterward that if we had known, it was probably treatable. So it's just a lot to adjust to. I had seven children, four years old to 19, and just coming home to tell them that their dad was in heaven. What was that like for you, that transition from, you know, having your husband one day and the next day you become a widow. Yeah. Shattering loss like this is just, it's traumatizing. It's shocking. And I think in the initial stages, we go into survival mode. Um, but I wanted to do more than survive. Even as I was, you know, trying to get my feet to the floor and show up for my children, I wanted I didn't want to always feel like this. And I was very grief naive. I had never been through any kind of deep loss, but um, for me, it was just trying to uh, grapple with the hard emotions and the hard questions and to help my children grapple with theirs. Um, and, and, you know, I took 
even in a situation that we're not in control, there's a lot of times that we can get to situations like a, a spouse walks out or we get a diagnosis or even an adult relationship that we are not able to fix. Um, there are proactive steps we can take in that time. And so I began to not very, you know, not, I didn't have this big plan. I was just a woman desperate mm-hmm. to find hope again. And you were able to find hope again. Your title says it all life can be good again, but I know I have an acquaintance who, who tragically lost her husband. It's just been a year and this poor young lady, she's 37 years old and she's still struggling. She is still struggling. And if you were to tell her life can be good again right now, that's not what she's going to want to hear. What does this mean? And why did you choose to say that? Yeah, that's a good question there. So the book does not skip over the hard part. This is not a platitude that we would stick on any difficult situation because that doesn't help any of us. We have to process the gravity of the loss that we have sustained if we're going to ever be able to move forward well. But even in those earliest days, you know, I thought to myself, I will never smile again. Like I will get through this, but I don't think I'll ever have that real joy again that just bubbles up from inside that warm joy. But I wanted it. I didn't want to go through life on, I didn't want to coast through on indifference, you know? And um, so I didn't know how that would work, but I think it's a promise to us that, that if we will do the hard work of grief and it is, it's hard, then we can get to a place and it takes a long time where grief does soften, where the tears that we cried just, oh, so many tears become tears of gratitude. And, you know, those memories that would pop up on my phone that used to just trigger these knife wounds to me. Now they pop up on my phone and they, they trigger warm memories. It It is a place we can get to. And I think that is hope for us to know that not just, you know, in heaven, do we have hope, but this side of heaven that we can still live abundantly. How do you keep that hope? Uh, and how with you, you had seven children with this acquaintance of mine. She has three children. How do you keep that hope going and, and spread that even to your children while you're, while you're grieving? Yeah. So for me, what I did every day was get up. I'd kind of get my kids going for the day and then I would get away by myself and I would get into the word. And so I say, some people have a a prayer closet. I have a minivan, (laughs) but in that minivan, you know, where nobody could come in and ask me questions, I could just cry out my, my real emotions with the Lord. I could um, air my fears. I was journaling through so much of it because it's a lot to carry. And I would kind of give God every morning, my despair, my frustration, my regrets, my sadness, my loneliness, all of that. And then I'd pick up the word and I didn't go hunt for verses, but wherever I was, and I was actually reading through the Bible for a year, it had actually, my husband had been doing it and I picked up his plan and his journal Mm -hmm. and just kept going. So it was like in June, it was the middle of the reading plan, but no matter where I was in the word, God would always meet me. And he would always remind me of who he was and his promises. And it was enough hope for that day. It wasn't enough for the week. It was enough for that day to go back into my house, to do the tasks I needed to do to show up for my kids. But I had to go back the next day and do it again. 
So I would th- say that we've got to anchor into the, into the word, into the Lord. But the other thing that was huge for me are there are just moments where hope is threadbare and we just are despairing. I mean, I tasted despair. I remember one time reaching out to a friend specifically and telling her, I'm having a terrible morning. Can you pray for me? And she was with another group of moms and kids. And she texted me a picture a few minutes later of all of them. They had stopped what they were doing. They were on couches, on the floor, all over. She texted this picture of them praying. And I thought, this is what it's like to borrow hope. And so I would say for anyone who's in that place to reach out to somebody, a family member, a friend, and borrow their hope. What about lament? What does it mean to lament and why is it so important? Oh, yeah. Lament is something I was doing that I didn't realize was a biblical practice. God does not expect us to carry our hard emotions and our hard questions by ourselves because we were not created to bear the weight of death or disease or divorce, none of this. And so all through the Bible, we see him um, not dismissing this hard emotion or making people mask it or as, you know, act like they're all fine. But we see, especially in the Psalms, where David goes to God with his hardest emotion and just cries it out very authentically and honestly, what he's feeling and what his fears are. But once he lays that, you know, before God, he always ends with this, but I trust you. And we see that turn in the Psalms. We see that with Hannah as she was, you know, wrestling through her infertility and the longing that was unmet for her for so many years, going into the um, tabernacle and crying before the Lord and, um, and then just leaving her emotion there before the Lord. And that is lament saying, Lord, I am hurting. Will you meet with me here? With the loss of your husband, was your faith ever impacted in a negative way? Or do you feel that this helped to grow it to a place that you never thought you'd ever be able to experience? Yeah, I think we can dealing, you know, walking with a lot of other people through hard places. I know that, there are hard questions that come in, in grief and in shattering loss. For me, I think there were some, it, it exposed some areas of wrong belief for me is one thing. So I don't think that I ever walked from the Lord or turned from the Lord because I was desperate. I was desperate for him. And even though I didn't understand why this had happened, why he would allow such a great man of seven kids, you know, to go home. There were some areas that I had allowed to become idols in my life, some self-sufficiency, some idols of control and some deals. For instance, you know, we had seven kids. I had not set out to have seven kids. Neither of us had, but we had just, it had been a process with the Lord and we had come to a place where we decided that we were going to trust him with our family. And so I had my last two as an older mom and it felt very risky at the time. It felt very countercultural at the time, but I was trusting the Lord that he had called us to this. And then I think part of my assumption was, well, certainly if you have allowed us to have these children, you will allow us to live, to see them grown and raised. Mm. I never spoke that, but that was definitely part of my thoughts. And that was, but that is not the deal that God ever made with me. The deal was that he called me to himself and that he is sufficient and that I don't get to bypass all the pain that none of us get a pass from pain. So for me, it has revealed and chiseled out some idols, revealed some areas that I needed to realign um, my truth to God's truth and really just shown me in full living color that he is faithful. You know, the, the God of the Bible who is faithful to all these people throughout all that time is the God of today. He is alive and active and he is personal and practical. With grieving comes a lot of 
anger. And that can be very hard, very hard to see past. How were you able to get past that? And for others out there who may be dealing with a loss and they are just in that midst of just complete why, 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 what would you say to them and what helped you? Yeah, I would say that's a natural emotion. So not to be ashamed of it. Don't try to hide it from God. Don't think that you have to show up as somebody else beforehand to take it straight to him. We see that again in the Psalms. You know, how long, oh Lord, are you going to turn your face from me? Why have you allowed this? We see this in the minor prophets um, where they cry out to God. Why this injustice? Why are you allowing this? That is such a common question. But I think we do at some point, you know, we can ask those questions, but God is not obligated to answer. And in my experience, in the experience of walking with others through this, he usually doesn't. And even if he did answer, would we even understand it? You know, when my kids ask why as toddlers, even as teens, when they ask why I make decisions, even if I were to tell them, it's not like they would understand or agree with it because they don't have the adulting, the parenting perspective. So I think it's, I think it's a natural response to a pain and a loss of something we loved. Um, but there are better questions we can ask. We can ask God, what now? Um, uh, what do you have to teach me in this? And, um, how will you grow me through this? I think there are, there are better questions that we can turn that to and watch him grow us. That's a different perspective because the first thing you think always is why, why, why me, why me, why me? But that is great. It's, it's taking it away from yourself and, and going back to God and going back to that family member um, that has passed. For those of us who have never been through something like this, who have never had to grieve like yourself, what is the best thing that we can do for that person? Yes, I think the best thing you can do is not feel obligated to fix it because you can't fix anybody's pain. This is something they have to walk, but you can, you can sit with them in it. You can show up for them. And what that looks like, the best way I think that that looks is just to say, um, I love you. You're not alone. And I would, you know, don't say, call me when you need something because nobody's ever going to do that. Rarely will we ever take somebody up on that, but say, Hey, I'd love to come by Thursday and bring dinner, or I would love to come by and do your yard. Does this weekend work for you? Can I take your kids for you one day? So you just can have some quiet to yourself. Would you like to come over and join us for dinner? Extend the invitations. People may say um, no, because they are hurting and they just need that time to grieve, but content, but it's a, it's a love note to them to know that they were invited, that you care and that you see them in your book. And one thing that you quite often will say is that God's not writing a plan B for us. Instead, he's leading us towards chapter two. I love that. Tell me a little bit more about that. Yes, this was pivotal for me and it did not come early. This was somewhere in my second year of grief, which is very difficult the second year. But, um, you know, I was just kind of alone again in my minivan. And I'm not sure if I wrote it in my journal, just kind of aired it with the Lord, but I just, Admit it, I don't like my life. And I think once that bubbled up very honestly in that place, another thought followed and it was, but God has allowed this. And if he has allowed it, then it is not his plan B. God does not do plan Bs. He wasn't overlooking something. He hasn't sidelined me while everybody else is going on with their best life. That I'm not consigned. None of us are consigned to live out 
the leftovers of the life we wanted. Um, that because God has allowed it and he is in it, then at, by definition, there's as much abundance and joy here as there were in all the days before. And for me, that didn't immediately fix thing. I didn't immediately say, okay, I feel all better. But what that did was shift my perspective and help me lean into that truth until my emotions caught up, until my heart caught up to it. How long did it take you to get out of that deep, dark place and that, that sadness, that pure grief to a point where you could get to the point of writing this book, life can be good again. Yeah. The book was not in at all, you know, in my thoughts as first, even a couple of years um, for me, I think year three was a big turning point, but I would, I'm cautious about giving a timeline because we all grieve so differently. Our circumstances are different. The kinds of losses are different. And, um, you know, God never gives us a timetable. So I would say it takes as long as it takes, and it's never, it's never sequential. So it's not like you go from all bad to all good. There are, there were pockets of joy, even in those earliest days of, of just pain. And those were like little bursts of hope, like, okay, all the good is not behind me. But what happens is, you know, those pits of despair become less uh, they, they occur less often and they become briefer. And so we know that we are, we're moving forward because they still come, but um, they're, they're shorter and we will always miss our person. This is not something that goes away that we get over. Listen, my husband is missed at every family dinner at every Christmas at every graduation and celebration. And sometimes we address it out in the open and we say, wow, dad would love this. He'd be so proud of you. And sometimes we all just know it. We don't have to say anything. For that listener that may be currently grieving someone, may have just lost someone recently, just clinging to what you said, their hope, what would you say to them? I would say that um, to do the hard work of grief, don't try to mask it or escape it or fast forward through it. There are no shortcuts. And that's good news and bad news. The bad news is, is that there's no way through, but to process those hard emotions. The good news is there is a way to process it. Lament that you talked about, um, looking for the good in the life that we have right now is a great way to um, see that God is still with us and is still working around us and connect some dots. But um, we have to do, we have to grieve now on our terms or else grief will come back on its terms later. And we, we don't want that. That's not the healthy way to do it. Life can be good again, putting your world back together after it falls apart. Where can people pick up that book? You can pick it up at any online retailer, um, hopefully your local bookstore. And if people want to learn more about you and hear more of your story, how can they go about doing that? Sure. You can find me at my site, which is lisaapolo.com. It's two P's and one L. That's kind of the hub of all my writing. And um, you can find me on social media there as well. Thank you so much for making time for us. We really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. This was a great conversation. I, I appreciate you giving space to it. And thank you so much for joining us and for listening today. Don't forget to subscribe. We'll talk to you again on Connections.